If you're already doubting, have having doubts or imposter syndrome, that's you doing self-talk in your head that you're not the best, that you're not good enough, that you're not whatever. Well, then maybe you should replace that with something that says I am the best, right? So that's where I got over the like, uh, is this kind of just like, you know, cheesy voodoo shit? And I was like, well, no, because there is self-talking happening no matter what. It's either going to be negative or it's going to be positive. I might as well actively make it positive. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Hey, what's going on, everyone? We've got a good episode. But before we get to it, we've been releasing these new episodes called Greatest Hits. They're actually not new to the world, but they might be new to you. But basically, uh, before we started doing the podcast as it is now, it was just Sean interviewing a bunch of people. And we got like 20 or 30 in, or he did. And they were really good, but they were about two years ago when we launched them. And a lot of the people have done some really interesting things since uh, or in that last two years. And so we've actually been re-releasing them where I give an intro and there's also Sean's intro where I'll give an update on the folks. But anyway, give it a listen. And when you do... Uh, make sure you click subscribe if you're on iTunes. So if you're listening to this on the podcast app, click subscribe. And then if you're on Spotify, click that follow button. And the reason why is we're doing a bunch of these greatest hit episodes, but I'm actually the one going in the back and finding all these old episodes. And I'm trying to find all these interesting stuff. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing this series where we look at some of the, the greatest predictions that we've made as well as some of the worst predictions that we've made. But we're not releasing them entirely on a re- regular cadence because I got to go and find all of them. So make sure you click subscribe because A, you can be notified when that new episode comes out. And B, it actually is going to help us go in the rankings. And right now we're ranked like number 20, I think 20 or 19 in Spotify in the business category. And the higher we go up in rankings, the more content we can do because the more listeners we have. And well, you get the idea. So just please, please, please leave us a review. And uh, Sean, what are we talking about in today's episode? Okay, we talk about, we're going to talk about UF, the UFC, the business of it, as well as a pretty cool moment that happened in the, the recent UFC fight um, and we, we talk a little bit about self-talk, which is us, um, it's something that we do, both of us do, that we don't usually talk to other, we don't, you don't usually admit to doing this. And it's something that a lot of UFC fighters do, self-talk before you have to go perform, before you go and do your thing. And so we talk about the UFC, the business of the UFC, we talk about self-talk, and then we jump into some new, some ideas. Sam had a great idea, uh, or met a guy who was doing a really cool idea around saving money on property taxes. And this is a general class of ideas called money savers. And then we have another uh, another idea called the no loss lottery that we want to talk about. So that's what today's episode is. Uh, I think you guys will like it, um, especially the part about self-talk. I think that's going to be the most popular part. And we did have a few technical difficulties in this episode. Sean's inter- internet is not working. So hopefully uh, you won't notice too much. But if you do, sorry, it's not going to happen again. To the editors, I'm sorry. You're going to have to salvage like five restarts. Uh, to the listeners, hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, we're finishing a conversation we are having about what we have to do. Um, yeah, we got to select a new... I've got 89 drawings or art clips that we've got to select. And then uh, I'm having a Brayu interview. Did we announce on the podcast about a Brayu? No, we didn't. Um, a Bray's leaving. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um this was kind of part of the plan, but it sucks. So anyway, we've got 50 people that we've got it. Sam, have you had this before uh, at The Hustle where people want to leave to go do their own startup specifically? Not like, oh, I got another job, but... Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, most people, yes. Um, yeah, I have. I always tell them, I'm like... And I think Abreu is different because he wasn't a full-time employee, but I'm like, just so you know, like it, this feels like a startup now and it is a startup that, but just so you know, like don't even, even the nice shit that we have at the moment, don't expect any of that for a little while. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I always try to get them used to it. I'm like, just so you know, it's going to be really bad if for a little while. This shithole is shitty. Wait yeah. till you start your own thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's happened a lot. Although Abreu, uh, I think actually understands that he's been saving money. He's been living at home and, and, and stashing money or living somewhere where he has cheap rent. So yeah, I think he'll I think he'll do good. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. 
we uh, there's this thing called uh, that Reed Hoffman wrote his book called The Alliance. And he talks about this like back in the day, people used to expect an employee to like kind of stay with you for 20 years. Like that was like people used to do that. They used to be at a company from start to retirement. And then that became less and less common. And now I think in tech, the average tenure of an employee is like two years or something, like even less maybe. Yeah, I think Facebook, it's even less. <laughs> and um, so, um, yeah. so Reed Hoffman, who was the CEO of LinkedIn, the founder of LinkedIn, he wrote this book, which was like, look, you gotta, you can't just, uh, you can't just close your eyes, pretend that's not happening. You can't get upset every time somebody leaves. That's actually the norm. So what's the right way to manage in this, in this type of uh, scenario? And he calls it the alliance, which is a mutual understanding between the person working with you and you, and you as the manager. I, I actually am very curious. I want to know about this, the alliance, people leaving, whatever. Yeah. So I haven't read this book, but, uh, oh, great, the, great, great way to start off. <laughs> well, I know of the book. I understood the premise. I didn't don't 90% of books that I'm a fan of, I, I haven't actually read. And this is one of them. So what he says is basically you need to have like, um, an understanding with your, the, the person who's working for you or working with you that they're going to be there as long as this is mutually beneficial. And the expectation is that after X number of years, two, three, four, whatever that number is, probably not much more than that, that they may, um, they may leave and they may go do their own thing. And that when that time comes, you're going to support them. And then it's, he's the way he talks about it is like, he's a big believer of networks and network effects. He's like, that person, when they leave your company, they're not just like sort of dead to your company. They are now, you know, they should be your champion and your advocate outside your company. And you'll cross paths again. You'll either invest in their company. You know, they may come back and work for you later. They may refer somebody in. So he describes how, how to like thrive, get, given the constraint that people are going to leave early on or, or in tech, this high, high turnover rate of one to two years of people hopping jobs, uh, which is not what Array was doing, but it just reminded me of that. Yeah, and I still, like the problem that I'm going to solve for whenever I start a company again, and even now, but I, at least when I start from scratch, I could I could hopefully do this early on, which is basically like, how do you build a company where someone wants to work there for 10 years? And and I still, even even in this world where, you know, the average person only works somewhere two or four years, I think it's quite possible though. See, my problem is that I like working with and try to recruit and get the best results from recruiting entrepreneurial type of people. That like that's who I get along with. That's who thinks like me. That's who like works really really hard in these like bursts. But those are like the worst people for retention because they want to go start their own company. Like that's that's why they're entrepreneurial type of people. They're not going to be long term employees sort of by definition. And so I've always sucked at the retention side of things in that sense. Um, but you know I'm I'm cool with it. I think I can just continually recruit more people that want that experience. So before we get into some ideas for this episode. Can I tell you something that I saw recently? And we're going to bring kind of this topic up when we talk about UFC, but did you watch the Rose Namajunas? Is it Rose Namajunas? Yep. So there's a it, UFC yeah. fighter named Thug Rose. She is <laughs> uh, like darling, not like just like in terms of like physical, like what she looks like and her attitude. Like darling is like the best word I could describe her, although she can like kill you. Yeah. Uh, so, so, she, so the story of this is interesting, right? She's, she's really, I don't know. She's five foot three. She's very petite. She used like, have you seen her with long hair? Yeah. She was like beautiful. She was a beautiful looking girl. And at the, at the beginning, the UFC was marketing their female fighters, like with their kind of like sex appeal, basically. Yeah. Right. And so, they, they made her wear like a, like a bikini at weigh in, which is just so stupid. Right. And some, some girls leaned into it, like Paige Van Zandt. She got like a boob job and she's like, she kind of sucks as a fighter. She's like very mediocre, but she's famous and gets paid well because she has good like sex appeal. People want to watch her. People are fans of her. There's a the karate fighter called the Karate Hottie, right? That's her nickname, the Karate Hottie, because again, she's like playing on that. Rose went the other way. She's a beautiful girl. And they were like, oh, do you, you want to go do Dancing with the Stars? You want to like, we can make you into a star. And she's like, fuck that. Shaved her head and was like, I don't want this whole beauty thing is a distraction. I'm actually trying to be a martial artist. And uh, Which I thought so that was cool. badass. And, and that makes her great. And I think that the, there's like only a few sports in the world where the women are equally or more popular than the men. I guess there's tennis, yep. maybe uh, maybe well, national soccer team. I think that's kind of the, the only other one that I can think of. 
But in the UFC, if you look at the top 10 most popular pay-per-views of all time, it's like Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey make up like collectively like eight of the top 10. And whenever we think of like an Amanda Nunes fight, I don't think like it's a great women's fight. I think this is just awesome. Like I'm going to pay. Yeah, I'm going to I'm just going to watch this. And anyway, so I think it's good that I hope I think the whole bikini thing, I think that's fucking that was offensive and and bullshit. Uh, Dana White was kind of famously uh, was once stopped by TMZ and they were like, Dana, when when will we see women fighting in the UFC? And he was like, ha, never, dude. No, we don't want to see nobody wants to see girls fighting in a cage. And um, and then he like, you know, did a complete 180, like to his credit, changed his mind when he when Ronda Rousey came around and was like, OK, she's a star. I can build this whole side of the sport around this woman. And he totally did. And now it's like like you and me both. Uh, you know, when, when there's a great women's fight, it's just as good, if not better, than the Ben's fights. Yes. And so there was a fight. We didn't actually talk about it, but it was two weekends ago. Um, and this woman named Rose Namajunas, she's awesome. And there's this clip that uh, I'll sh- I- I'll share again so people can just go to my thing or somewhere to find it. But basically, she's uh, in, like, first of all, going into a cage, like, you're in your underwear. You're getting watched by potentially million-plus people. Um, and you're like kind of fighting to the death, even if you do have someone's gonna like stop you. Like the case, the likelihood that you can die is definitely. I mean, that exists. So like you're going in uh, like a life or death situation in your underwear in front of all your friends and family in the world. And That's, like, the most. And if you fail, you sort of fall back to the bottom of the totem pole, and you have to climb back up, which is fighting a bunch of monsters along the way. And it's like in a normal sport, you go in. I'm gonna play a basketball game. I'm gonna play a football game. It's like I'm gonna play the game. I hope I don't get hurt. In a fight, it's like, first of all, it's not even called playing. You, there's no play fighting. It's just it's fighting. It's actually, it's, it's not a sport you play. And the second thing is, you're definitely going to get hurt. Like, that's just, it's not like an aberration. It's not like an un, unusual thing when you get damaged, uh, like you would in basketball with fighting. You're for sure going to take hits and you're going to, you're going to hurt well, what, yourself a little bit. What the fighters say is like, you know, I left a piece of me in that ring. And what Every they time, really, yeah. what they really mean is like in a hard fight, it's like, I know that I just took six months, like that's six months off my life. I just right. lay, I, I left that in that ring. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And I mean, it's weird. It's, it's odd, but I love it. And in this fight, the camera is that they're announced. She's fighting uh way. Was it way Lee? I think her name is Zhang way Lee. Yeah. Yeah. This woman from China, who's just like a beast. And she's like a terminator dude. She's like so strong, just unbelievably physically strong. And again, Rose doesn't look like that. She doesn't no. have bulging muscles. She's, her neck is not like popping with veins. She looks like if you've ever watched Stranger Things, she looks like Eleven, the character uh, in exactly. Stranger Things. And then they and and Wei Li, I, I I love that woman as well. She's great too. But this Thug Rose is her name. Uh, they zoom in on her face and she's saying, "I'm the best. I'm the best." I'm the best. And she's saying it over and over and over again. And in two minutes, she was the underdog. She was supposed to get her ass kicked. And I actually would have bet that she was going to get her ass kicked. I thought she, I would have bet she was going to get knocked out. And within two minutes, she did a, a front leg kick, which is already kind of weird, and knocked Wei Lee out. And the crowd goes wild. I remember watching it live. I was like, I was in tears. I was so happy. And I have chills gets, right now just remembering it. Rose kicks this woman in the head a minute and a half in, two minutes in. Knocks her out. We all go crazy. And at the end, her husband is her trainer or part of the training team. And he gets down at her level, like, because he's like 6'5", and she's probably 5'6", five, 5'4". Five, and he looks at her face. He goes, we've been saying it for years. You're the motherfucking best. No <laughs> one can fuck with you. Who's the best? And she goes, I'm the best. And then in the interview with Joe Rogan, he goes, you kept saying I'm the best. And he puts the mic to her and she goes, because I am the best. <laughs> and I get, I'm kind of getting uh, emotional even remembering. I have chills right now just while you're talking because I was watching it and it was a very, Same. It's, I don't think if you didn't watch it, if you don't, hey, if you don't follow the UFC, you probably don't give a shit about this. If you didn't watch it, well, it's hard to relate. I think he, even if I, I think just even missed if you it. don't watch it, I don't think, I think even if you don't watch the UFC, you should go and watch this clip because yeah. this woman, she's had emotional issues where she like has broken down from stress, which is understandable given that like she's fighting to the death. So like fair. It's just, it was so, so the, the I think the key part of this, by the way, is that there's a lot of UFC fighters who are like all bravado. Like they always talk about how they're the best. Oh, I'm going to win. I'm the best. Nobody can touch me. I'm on another level, blah, blah, blah. She's not one of those people. She's ultra no. quiet, humble. Uh, like a lot of people perceive her to be like sort of mentally weak because she's a had some issues before and B like she doesn't come out with that bravado typically. So that's why it was very atypical to see this very 
sort of small, this gentle giant basically like standing in the cage, facing her opponent and just muttering to herself, mouthing to herself. You could see she was just telling herself before the fight, I'm the best, I'm the best. And it's from her, it's not trash talk. It's not bravado. It was self-talk, which is a very different thing. Uh, she was trying to reinforce it to herself so she would go perform and then she performed like kind of a stunning knockout. And the way that she delivered the I'm the best line, you could tell that her coach, or, or it must have been her coach, who is her husband, was like, Rose, you're the best. As a matter of fact, for the next year, when I ask you who's the best, you have to reply, right. I'm the best, or I'm going to go make you do push-ups or run or whatever, yeah. or something like that. And it, it, you could tell that that's how like she was like, you know, like when you're in uh, high school and they make you carry a football all day or like a baseball <laughs> right. or like in my case, the running baton, if you drop it, like it's like a it's like a discipline thing. That is what happened with her. You could tell that like if anyone said, who you know, who's they're pretty good. Who's the best? And if she goes, she would have to say, I'm the best. Right. And it was interesting because as it brings back to business and launching stuff, you have that same doubt. Granted, you know, you might lose money and get embarrassed. Thankfully, you're not going to get your ass kicked or killed most likely, but you still need that self-talk. And that example, that minute and a half clip is like the best example of self-talk for normal people. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Do you do self-talk yourself? Yeah, I, yeah, I, so, I definitely. So it's, it's a trick question yeah. in a way because everybody has an internal monologue. Everybody's doing self-talk just in their head. But I'm it asking just more like, do you strategically... Because a lot of people think this is like cheesy, lame, like affirmations. Oh, go no. stand in the mirror and say, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, whatever. No, right? dude, it's necessary because like so whenever do you you're do? doing anything. Yeah, so like um, whenever I'm launching anything or whenever I have fear, like for example, even when I bought my home, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I have a, I think I have a pretty unhealthy relationship with money. I don't like spending it because I was poor. I know what it's like to be broke. And I was like, no, this is normal. This is normal to feel this emotion. This is incredibly normal. Do it anyway. And then, uh, so yeah, I, I I do that all the time where I try to normalize it. I say, this is normal. This is what I, I'm supposed to feel this way and I'm supposed to do it anyway. So I tell myself right. that all the time. Is that what you do? Um, I don't do that, but I do. I have two kind of routines that are like this that I've probably never told anybody about. All right. So um, these are, I would say this one is fairly new. Um, I told you kind of like I had like this moment where I was like, all right, what do I care about? I've always been a self-improvement guy, right? I talk about Tony Robbins. has been a big kind of like influence on me. So I have this thing on my wall. And it's basically what I wrote. Like, like most people write goals, like what they want to achieve, what they want to have. I want to have a mansion or I want to hit this dollar amount. or I want to get promoted. And for me, I have a, a thing that's called, I wrote on it, who am I becoming? And I, the way I do it is because I think about myself like a, Every year, it's like a software update, right? What's version, I'm 30, I just turned 33. What's version 33 of Sean look like, right? And I, I literally write this out beforehand. I write out the, like, the notes, like, oh, I used to have this bug where I got jealous about people. That's fixed. You know, like, um, hey, I added this new feature. Now I can play the guitar, whatever, right? Like, I treat myself like a whole new version upgrade. Anyway, so the, all those little bug fixes and features, they all add up to something. What am I trying to become? And um, it's like kind of like a root philosophy, which is life is not about what you achieve or what you have. It's about who you become. And so I said, all right, well, what do I want to become? And I sort of wrote these four things out, right? I said, I want to become a person who is, uh, who is fit through healthy habits. I want to become a teacher, um, uh, you know, the favorite teacher of millions of people. I want to be, um, you know, a, a great family man uh, who lives in a house full of love. And I have like a last one, right? Uh, one more after that. So anyways, I have these four things that are like, the things I want to become. And I do this thing in the morning when I like do my kind of morning routine, which is like my reminder for the day before I go and start just doing a bunch of work and a bunch of tasks and dealing with all the emails and shit that comes my way. I just walk in a circle in my office, which is a tiny, tiny office. I have like a, I don't know, eight by eight foot office. And I just walk in a circle and every circle is I'm 
basically, I'm basically talking like I'm, you know, talking to myself or um, my own coach about those, about those four things. So I'll say like, you know, um, you know, I'm becoming a teacher. Uh, I am, I am a teacher. I'm a teacher who millions of people uh, love what I love, what I create. They learn from me. They're inspired by me. I'm a teacher. That means I got to learn every day. So I have something to teach. I'm a great teacher, right? So I just say in the present tense, I am this, not I'm trying to become this. Um, and then I'll say this, the next one, you know, uh, I'm a great dad, you know, uh, even when things are going off the rails, I'm patient. That's when I get even more patient. I'm poised. I'm a great dad. I'm always there for them. They know I got their back. I'm a great dad. Right? You sound like Muhammad Ali. Exactly. You know, I said I was the greatest before I am. And so, so I do that. So I've been doing that now for like, I don't know, probably like a year. Um, and I love it. It's just kind of fun for me. So that's the first kind of self-talk I do. The second kind of self-talk I do is, uh, what I call revision which is I fall off the horse a lot, like most people, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy. And then like, fuck, in the middle of the day, I, there's a bag of chips was there and I, I ate the bag of chips. Or like, you know, I, I say I'm going to be a patient dad, but then like, oh, like I, I just lost it when, you know, she wouldn't let me change her diaper and then blah, 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 blah. Um, and so like, obviously I'm not perfect. And so, there, so the, the other self-talk I do is revision at the end of the night. I just... Imagine that same scenario that happened. It only takes me 30 seconds. I just think back to that moment that I'm not proud of and I reimagine it in a way that I'm me acting in a way that I'm proud of. And that's it. I don't like, I don't like decide I'm going to do things differently. I don't like write it down. I don't like um, pledge to myself. I'll never do this again. I just imagine it going the right way. And then I just go to sleep. And that act of reimagining things the way you want to see it is a form of self-talk in my mind. Uh, it's just like Rose saying, I'm the best and imagining herself, you know, knocking out the other girl. That's kind of what I do for, you know, I'm not a fighter. I just do it in, in my, day, my daily life. And the takeaway I think should be, if someone's crazy enough to, to look up to you, Sean, or look up to me, then at least now they know that someone they look up to has like doubts and has to do that self-talk. Um, the, good, the cool position that you and I are in is that we know people that are like some of the and at least in terms of financial success, which is a limited version of success, are some of the most financially successful people in the world. We talk to them and we know firsthand that they're like, oh, I'm so depressed. Right. I can't do X, Y, and Z. And then in our case, like we look up to, at least I do, a lot of these UFC fighters and seeing like this tough-ass lady like Doug Rose doing the same thing. So anyway, this isn't hokey pokey. This is actually everyone has this and, and it's interesting. So look up that Doug Rose video. That's badass. Um, yeah. There's one other thing I'll put there, which is... Um, my trainer was big on this sort of like, not the talk so much, but the, the visualization, the imagination. He's always like, oh, you're too analytical. You're just being like, you're trying to think your way through everything. Just imagine it. Just don't worry about how it's going to happen. Think about what you want to have happen. And in my head, I was always like, yeah, yeah. Like at the end of the day, somebody's got to figure out how it's going to happen. That's going to have to be me. So like just imagining it is not going to do it, right? So I was kind of resistant to it up front. But I came around when I realized one thing, which is, everybody in their head is already imagining some outcome. So like if you're ever stressed or worried or doubt, what is that? That's your head imagining the thing not going right, not going well, failure, whatever, right? So if we are willing, like it's, it sounds kind of hokey and cheesy to imagine things going well. It's like sort of like this hippy dippy thing to do. But the other side, which is imagining things not going well, everybody's doing all day anyways. Anybody who's ever had stress or fear or doubts the, if you just break down what that is, that's imagining things not going well. It's imagining a future where this doesn't work. And so if you're willing to, if you're already doing and willing to imagine things not going well, you might as well start imagining things going well also. And if you're already doubting, have, having doubts or imposter syndrome, that's you doing self-talk in your head that you're not the best, that you're not good enough, that you're not whatever. Well, then maybe you should replace that with something that says I am the best, right? So that's where I got over the like, uh, is this kind of just like, you know, cheesy voodoo shit. And I was like, well, no, because there is self-talk happening no matter what. It's either going to be negative or it's going to be positive. I might as well actively make it positive. And if it is cheesy, who gives a shit? Like, if that gives me just a slight edge, then or, then right. I'll take it. If it works. I need everything I can get. Um, <laughs> All right, we should jump and then in. Let, well, really quick before we get into ideas, Michael Harris. Do you know who that is? No, who is that? Michael Harris. Uh, his name is nickname is Michael Lowe. I don't know what the O's from, but he founded Death Row Records, which uh, he was the he was a uh, Google it. I, so I don't I don't want to like get this totally wrong, but I believe he was a cocaine dealer, and he went to prison, uh, particularly uh, I think it was San Quentin for twenty five years. 
but prior to prison, he uh, made close to like $100 million from selling cocaine, and he funded Death Row Records, and he got it off the ground. He's a co-founder of Death Row Records, owned the uh, all the originals or the masters of everything. Anyway, he's out of prison. My, my He's a good friend of uh, my good friend, Chris. It's, he, it's his good friend. Did you go uh, pick he, him up when he got out? Well, he he, he got <laughs> he got he got picked up in a Bentley, which is pretty funny. Uh, but anyway, he wants to come on the pod. You oh, you wow. want him? Amazing, yeah. And Death Row, who's Death Row? So Death Row was Tupac or De- Death Row? Who was? Yeah, so it was Pac. It was uh, Dre, uh, Dre's early stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, it was Snoop. So basically, this whole like the a lot of modern rap originated because of of Death Row Records. This whole like amazing, you know, fuck the fuck the police gangster shit. They kind of like invented that <laughs> I love so, it. okay great that's gonna be awesome all right uh you want to talk about ufc again or do you want to talk about something else let's talk about ufc but this time we're gonna talk about the business of ufc real quick so the parent company that owns the ufc is called endeavor and endeavor went public and and go anytime something goes public you know you can go and you can sort of see the financials and you can read the prospectus because they have to do that in order to file for going public so this is the first time that the ufc's financials kind of like saw the light of day really um, and they'd been sort of shrouded by mystery. Uh, you know, fighters were always wanting to know the numbers because they want to get paid more. They feel like they're super underpaid. Um, you know, Dana kind of talks about numbers, but like nobody could ever verify is that how many pay-per-view buys there were and whatnot. So I thought it was kind of interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about Endeavor and see what you think about this. So yeah, Endeavor Let, let's is... Get, I, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say the two guys who are like in charge of it, I believe is Ari Emanuel and I think this guy Patrick Whitesell. And um, Ari is, if you ever watch Entourage, the character Ari Gold is based off of Ari Emanuel. And so um, he's kind of like a power player in uh, in Hollywood. He, you know, they had their own talent agency. Um, then that sort of took over WME. And, the w- and then they took, so they have three parts of their business. One is agencies like WME and, and others. So managing uh, Hollywood talent, musical talent, whatever. Then they have sports businesses where they own sports assets. Notably, they bought the UFC, but they also own some other things. They own EuroLeague basketball. They own um, PBR, like bull racing. Uh, they bull, own a bunch of bull, like... Bull riding. Bull riding, sorry. Y- yuppie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they own bull, bull, bull sitting. Um, okay, so so they own a couple of you know sports assets. And then they have like kind of like a third um, you know arm to the business, which is their events business. So they have the Miss Universe pageant. They have New York Fashion Week. They have uh, they basically bought the company that hosts the event of the Super Bowl on location. So they they have all these events, and so they have these three arms of the business. The, the, I, they, they they also do publishing. They they do all types of shit. Like frankly, how that company even operates, I don't understand because there is some cohesiveness, but there's also a lot of not cohesiveness, right. and it's incredibly well, it's a, confusing. It's really, a, I think it's really like a roll up of one theme, which is sports and media entertainment. So, um, so they rolled in all these companies together and they have like, yeah, they have like a brand licensing thing where they have, they have the brand for Harvard and, and the NFL and they'll go like license it out and give revenue back to, to Harvard and the NFL. So they went public. It's worth $18 billion uh, now. And uh, so, so yeah, as of, as of, as, as of right now, it's 21.3. Right. So it went up just in the time of my research here. I should have bought um, they do about four to five billion dollars a year, and specifically with the UFC, I thought this was kind of interesting. So I didn't know how much revenue the UFC does, and I was a little bit surprised to learn that. Can the, I guess? Yeah, I don't know if you've, you've seen it or not. No, I haven't. Okay. Um, I would say uh, eight hundred in revenue and two hundred in profit. All right, very close. We're very close on the revenue side. So here's their 2018, 2019, 2020. So seven hundred million. 875 million and then 900 million last year. Wow. Uh, so very close on revenue, but their margins are a lot better than you think. So you were saying um, 200 million. Eight and two, yeah. yeah. So so their margins are about 36%. Uh, so they have 30% EBITDA um, on their, their product, which is very good. Fighters only get 20% of revenue. Every other major sport, NFL, NBA, it's closer to 50-50. I think it is 50-50 split. And so, you know, the fighters are, are sort of right when, the, when they say that they're underpaid. And... Um, and so their business is interesting because they have media rights. So uh, guess how much the uh, media rights sold for? So the the the, the uh, it used to be on Fox and now it moved to ESPN. Guess how much ESPN paid it, for it? I think it was a billion over six years, right? Um, I don't know how many years it is, but it's three three hundred million a year. So I think it's actually more than a billion. So they make so oh. 
the Fox deal. I think it was 1.5, 1.5 or five years. I think that's wow. It. So yeah, so it's the Fox deal was 168 million a year, and then the ESPN deal was 300 million a year, and that actually paid off pretty big because of their 900 million in revenue, 300 comes from the media rights. The rest comes from merchandise, events, pay per view, uh, sorry, t- uh, ticket sales, all, all that good stuff. And um, so I thought that was pretty interesting, pretty good business overall, much more profitable than I would have expected given, you know, all the different moving pieces that go into it. And um, overall, like kind of an incredible business because they bought the UFC for $2 million, like, I don't know, 20 something, 25 years ago or something. So they bought it, they bought it out of, it was going bankrupt. And Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, convinced his two kind of childhood friends who were basically the, the, the Fertitta brothers are these like mafia family Guys who own they own a casino, so they own Red Rock Casino in Vegas. Uh, I think um, Fertitta's son, he they de- or one of the Fertitta kids, or he's our age, uh, listens to the podcast. I don't think he would like that if you said no, that they were mafia. It's public. It's like uh, it's like public. It's like well known information. Uh, it's like been published everywhere. And I also think, by the way, when I say the mafia, I'm not judging. I think that's pretty pretty fucking cool. And uh, I think ma- people in the mafia also think being in the mafia is pretty cool. So I, I hope they don't get offended by that. And if they do, um, you know, I live in Austin. You can go find me over there. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, the Fertitta family is pretty interesting. They started casinos. They're, the Frank and Lorenzo were the ones who Dana convinced, "Hey, let's go buy the UFC." So they bought it for two million, and now, and then they ended up selling it and, for, for four when, to five billion. When they bought it, they pretty much just got the cage, which is probably a. piece of equipment. (laughs) Right. And they got the name. Yes. The UFC. They were like, we just loved that name. It was such a great name. And they go, we paid $2 million, but we didn't really get anything. Right. And, but for some reason, we did it. They had to pour in way more money after that. So it's kind of the the easy story is bought it for $2 million, sold it for $5 billion, which is obviously amazing. No. But there was like multiple years of just pouring money in and losing money before this thing turned around because. They couldn't get regulated in a bunch of places like John McCain called it human cockfighting. And, you know, they couldn't they couldn't get licensed. They couldn't um, the business model wasn't there. They wouldn't get put on TV, that sort of thing. And um, so they put it, I, I think, think they, 80 they, something they, million. Yeah, I was going to say 65. They said it in the documentary, he was like, we put a lot into it and it failed and failed and failed. And by like year six, they convinced Spike TV, which I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, to air the last fighter or the ultimate fighter yep and there was it was forrest griffin and i forget the other guy's name um and they had this big fight and i remember as a kid watching that fight yeah i remember that fight as a kid these guys were going at it they looked like it was the first time that like we thought wow they're like athletes they're not like these guys are they like they they they're not necessarily like thugs or like meatheads like these guys are athletes who are fighting and i remember watching it and right when that episode aired their ratings went up and they go, boom, we just saved the whole company right. from that one fight. Well, the thing with that show is they show them in a house. It's like a reality show, right? They're showing them living in a house and then com- training and then competing. So it wasn't just the brutal fighting part. It was like, you got to know the guys. You see their backstory. You see them lying in their bed, looking at a picture of their family right before their training session, being like, all right, this is who I'm doing it for, blah, blah, blah. So people got emotionally invested. So it's similar, you know, like the Kardashians also, like they use reality TV to build the brand that ends up being a commercial brand, right? Because you perform an emotional connection of you know them and their sort of reality, you know, although it's quite edited. Um, and then you know, then you're more likely to be a buyer in the future. So, so yeah, they ended up turning this thing around. Kind of an amazing outcome for them. Um, just a super cool business. And I would say, if you don't follow the UFC, there is one kind of like cool business lesson to learn from it, which is Dana White. Dana White is the most unorthodox president of a company that I think I've ever seen. Like people think Elon is kind of like out there and he'll tweet random stuff. He's kind of unafraid. He's pretty bold. Dana makes Elon, you know, look like a, like a, you know, like a honor roll student. Um, Dana will like, so he's been involved with the business from the, from the beginning, but he will go in the Instagram comments where somebody's, you know, hating on something and he'll just be like, Go fuck yourself, you know. Like, uh, you know, in the press conferences, he is as much a character as any of the fighters. And the same way that Vince McMahon did that in WWE, but, but that's fake. That's scripted. Dana does it in the unscripted format. And I had an investor tell me once um, we were talking about esports, and, he's, and I was, and you know, a lot of people think esports is a really interesting space because it's, you know, the viewership is really high, but the business is kind of nascent still. And people are wondering, is there a UFC-like opportunity there? Because you buy something today for $2 million, that's going to end up being worth $4 or $5 billion. Um, and what this investor told me, I think, is so spot on. He goes, 
esports needs its Dana White. It needs its person who's going to take this sport from like just the underground and brick by brick build it into a mainstream brand and like take no prisoners and like organize the whole fucking thing along the way. Let me ask you this. Dana White, when the deal, when he sold the company, he made $400 million, I think. Um, I think that was public. He owned 4% of the company um, or 10, I forget. 10%. 10%. 10 oh, okay, it's 10%. Sold for four. He made 400. Then he probably made like, probably, he was probably getting paid 10 million a year. Easily uh, more than that. 50 million at least, as my before guess. Before the sale. Before the sale. Oh, oh, sorry. Before the sale. Yeah, yeah. So he was wealthy ahead of time and he made money in a thousand. Who cares? Uh, so let's just be like conservative and say that he's worth 600 to 700 million dollars. That's conservative, I think. And like all the celebrities are one, like, they, like, like, the the people who we think are cool, they're the ones who think Dana's cool. Like everyone thinks Dana's cool. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like the famous people, Dana's famous to the famous people. So he's got power. He's got people want to. Uh, people think he's cool. Yada yada yada. He's got money. Would you trade spots with him? No, his lifestyle is brutal. It's brutal. It, absolutely brutal. I would never brutal. do that, dude. It looks horrible. He looks like he still like kind of looks fit, but he looks exhausted. His face is red and like he's he looks gained like, he's got, like 150 pounds since starting this thing. Now it's kind oh of like muscle God. fat, but because he takes steroids and stuff. But um, no, he's dude. He's on like they do an event every weekend basically, and he has to like do like, he has to manage headquarters plus. He goes to the event. He does the press conferences. He's watching ringside. Then he goes and talks to the fighters afterwards. And he deals with the weigh-ins and the, oh, this guy can't make it. This guy got hurt. We got to find a replacement. And he does that 52 weeks out of the year. And like, there's a reason that Dana's not like, you know, happily married at home with kids and a great dad and, you know, unstressed. There's a reason that Dana's got bags under his eyes because he chose that life and he nailed it. I would not choose that life. It's not for me. Yeah. Yeah, not a chance. I, I wouldn't either. But um, but I respect the hell out of it. I'm happy. He, what what do I always say? Cornrows and and neck tattoos. <laughs> I'm happy they exist. I don't want them. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you want to do? Uh, you want to go? Want to try another one? Oh, I didn't even see. I didn't scroll down. You had the revenue down here the whole time. I never saw it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Did you want to wrap up with this or no? No, that's it. I, I just think it was kind of interesting. I mean, uh, I don't really I have agree. Like, a major point on like, oh, good business, bad business. I think. As somebody who, who's a fan of the sport, the business side of it is just as interesting as uh, as the actual sport itself. Yeah, I think that like I think that UFC is mainstream popular now. I can't exactly tell because the people who like like it's my sport. Like that's like my it's my Monday night football. So I, I follow right. it just as much as a hardcore fo football fan follows all that. And I make my wife watch it with me now. She is actually finally into it because she understands the story behind it. it because it's basically just wwe wrestling right exactly. um it's just like it's like fake drama which is, i love so anyway uh we watch it and I, but i i think it's beyond just our crew now i think it's like mainstream almost like everyone knows who connor is so a couple episodes back we talked about business models that save you money and they just take a percentage of savings and how that's like the biggest no-brainer of all time we said taxes was good like income taxes we said um software savings car savings we said a bunch of stuff that was kind of an, an interesting episode i hung out with this guy who is uh he just lives a few doors down from me he started this company called student loan hero you know student loan hero never heard of it i i don't even know what it does it basically helps you consolidate debt i think so like if you have student debt you go to their website and you purchase some i, I don't know I, I haven't had a lot of I, debt. I, th I think what it does is it uh, I've seen models like this. I haven't looked up their website, but I've Common Bond is another one of these. They basically just refinance your debt at a lower rate, so they save you money, and then they basically make money because the new lender will pay them a fee for the for the loan they originated for them. Exactly. Um, I just haven't had to do that, so I, I I'm not exactly sure how it works. But anyway, he sold that company, bootstrapped it, sold it for sixty million dollars. His new company is called uh, what's it called? Proper Lot. Properlot.com. And he, his goal, I went, me and Sarah went to his house the other day for breakfast. And uh, the guy just, he like, I took a picture of like my, like just me in front of my house. I, I don't remember what I was doing. I posted online. He's like, I don't want to be creepy or anything, but I think I live like five doors down from you. Do you want to hang out? Uh, and uh, <laughs> I went to his house and we hung out and he's got this new company called Proper Lot. And they're doing this, but with property taxes. And what's, there's a few interesting things about this. The first thing is that he's trying to make this, he has this theory where he thinks he can make it, makes it, he, he thinks he can make it relatively big, like millions of dollars in revenue with him being the only employee. So that's what he's doing. 
that's interesting in itself. Second, how, how do they save you money on property taxes? Is there a yeah. simple explanation or no? Yeah. So second is the actual business. So in where I now live in Austin, your property value goes up every year or every two years, and then you're taxed 2% of your property value. Um, because there's no income tax, that's how they get their money. So I bought my house for uh, about $1 million. It's currently, it went up crazy, very oddly, like, it's, it's not odd, but it sucks for me that it went up like 20% in the first 60 days of owning it. And now I owe 2% of like $1.2 million a year in taxes. So let's just say that that's $22,000 or something a year in taxes that I owe. And what proper lot does is you tell them your address. They look at the assessed value of your neighbors and they tell you to the government, hey, this actually isn't fair that you charged us $1.2 million. Our value actually should be $1.1 million. And it, all in all, I it saves me about $1,000 a year. And they take uh, $300 of that fee. And there's a few companies in the space, but a lot of them are older, uh, like old school. One's called... Uh, I think it's called PO... The URL is POConnor.com. Uh, they do about $100 million a year in revenue with 200 people. And then another one is called Five Stone, which is local to Austin. They uh, they filed 24 pro- 24,000 protests last year and made like $4 million. The way the company works is... The numbers are the average revenue per customer is about fifty to three hundred dollars, and uh, it usually saves customers two to five percent of uh, in appraised value. It lowers your appraised value by two to five percent, um, and they have a seventy percent success rate. So for seventy percent of the users who sign up, they reduce you by two to five percent. Kind of an interesting business model, and uh, I, I I had I don't know if you had heard of it, but I think it's great. That's pretty cool. I, I like that a lot. Um, I wonder, like you know. How do they need your permission to do it? So, for, for example, do you have to sign up as a customer and request it, or can they just yeah. be like proactively doing it and then leave a flyer at your door? Hey, we, you know, we did this for you. Would you like these this much savings? You know, it's ready for you. Just claim your account. Like that would be a crazy growth hack if they could do it. Yeah, no, um, you have to sign up, but that actually would be a great marketing scheme. Gotcha. Okay, uh, cool. I like this idea a lot. Did you have anything you wanted? Is there a riff of it? Uh, no. I just okay. thought it was cool. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. Uh, the other day, uh, one of our listeners, Jordan, told me that he goes, I listen to you guys just because you tell me cool shit I'd never heard of. So yeah, that, no, was, that was fine. one of them. Okay. Speaking of, uh, I have a, a cool thing that I don't know if you've heard of. Have you heard the term no loss lotteries? No. Okay. So this is pretty cool. So I met this guy, Layton, who uh, is behind this thing called Pool Together. So if you go to pooltogether.com, you can see what it is. What pulled together is, is it's a savings account, uh, and this is in the crypto world, So, it's a, but, but this exists everywhere. Uh, it's a savings account where instead of just getting like, you know, if you go to a bank today, you go get a savings account, you're going to get 0.00 whatever, 1% interest. It's like nothing, right? So what they said instead was, well, what if we pulled together everybody's 0.01% and then we give all that money away to one person as a lottery winnings? So, so it's a lottery where you don't have to buy tickets and you put nothing up at risk, but you can win very, very large. And so this has existed, the same model, this prize-based savings is what it's called, has existed uh, you know, for a while. It's in the US. It's very popular in the UK. So there, I think they call it um, premium bonds. So in the UK, there's something like 20 million people do this. They, they save in premium bonds. And there's like a total of $100 billion saved in these prize-based saving accounts. And the way they work is exactly how I described. Put your money in. Every week there's a drawing or every month there's a drawing, something you know, something like that. And you can win like 25 bucks all ranging up to a million bucks. And um, and they they give it, they give that out every every so often. And so um, so it's a pretty cool model. It's a way to encourage people to save because right now the incentive to save is so small. So the more savings you do, the more like sort of tickets you have in the raffle. So it's a pretty cool model. Now these guys ported this concept to crypto. And uh, there's a thing in the in the doc, check it out, it's called usage numbers. One great thing about crypto is that everything's on the blockchain. So every app, it's like you can see their Google Analytics. Um, you know, like it's all open. So I can go see that these Holy guys have- shit. They have 200 million in assets under management. They have about 9,000, 10,000 users, uh, like active users who participate in the thing. Which is a small number of users, but for for crypto, ten thousand active users is like you know you're one of the top uh, like you know decentralized applications. You know if if you're doing that much, like if you have that many users, most of these are very very small. 
Uh, but it's amazing how much money they have down there. And it's and so the way that the thing works is they actually they give so let's say they have two hundred million in in, uh, in assets under management. That means their lotto is going to be of X size. You know, um, I don't know exactly how much it is every week, but it's pretty big. And then what they do is they roll over some of those savings into the next week's jackpot. So they they ensure that every week they always have uh, you know a bigger and bigger jackpot by rolling over a percent of this of this week into the next. So um, you'll have to what what can someone Google to look at this because these stats like the growth rate is just like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so they could just if, so the the website I use to see how these uh, crypto apps usages is called Dune Analytics. So D U N E Analytics dot com. And then, um, and then you can basically uh, we can put the whole URL there, but it's Dude, you know, like slash whatever rate. slash pull, pull together. Okay, so I I, I you, I'm trying to get out of this like oh this is stupid when I hear I hear Ethereum like I'm trying not to like even though I'm only like 30 I'm trying not to act like a grumpy old man whenever I hear the oh shit I'm gosh, trying I'm, so I'm gonna try and work hard to default to optimism here. But my question to you is this: when you see this stuff. Like when you're explaining me to this, I'm like, is this a gimmick or is this real? Um, and I'm not going to call it stupid. Um, but when you're explaining this, I think to myself, is this a gimmick or is this like something that has longevity and can work? I mean, that's like all the all these crypto things, like many of them, there's no doubt they're cool. But are they cool like the app Yo is cool or are they cool like this is a thing that I could see lasting for 10 plus years? So I think that this can last. This one can last. Is Why? that a fair assessment? I think it's totally the right question to ask when it comes to crypto stuff versus like, is there any value to this beyond speculation, right? That's always the first question with a crypto app. And then it's like, okay, if there is value, is this lasting value or is this a quick fad? People are going to get tired of the gimmick. And in this case, what I think uh, is interesting is that there's this whole, like what's happening in crypto? There's a whole parallel financial system being built. So I have I have my wallet, I have my, my real bank account, and then I have my Coinbase account. Right, I have my my wallet in my pocket with credit cards in it, and then I have my crypto wallet, and I have my MetaMask, and I have whatever. Right, and so I now have like two. I now participate in two financial systems in the same way that like social networking split it up. Right, I had my real life friends nearby in my neighborhood and whatever a school, and then I had like my online friends, and I had like my online way to go chat with people, of which there's some overlap. So the same things happen now with finance. So what does that mean? That means that there's a whole bunch of people out there. Millions of people who have who are participating in, in crypto. And crypto keeps going up in price. So now they have like substantial holdings. And when you have substantial holdings, you have two choices. Are you just going to hold it and like earn nothing off of it? Are you going to sell it so that you can cash some of it out? Um, or are you going to put it to work for you? Are you going to reinvest it? And what's happening is that all the people who, who, who have won in the first couple waves of crypto now have those choices and they're all choosing to reinvest. Why would I sell? I'm still I'm I'm even more bullish on crypto, right? Cuz I kind of believed before, now I made a bunch of money. Well, now I think this is the greatest thing ever. Um, you know, why would I sell? I want to take a big tax hit for selling and and be out of the game. No, I think there's still room to go up. So they're not going to sell. They're not going to hold and just do nothing with it because that seems kind of irresponsible too, right? Let's say you have six figures, seven figures, eight figures worth of crypto. Why don't you earn 5% a year on that money. You can through crypto lending products and things like that. The point the point I'm trying to get it to is when you have all this money, people need something to do with it. Savings accounts is one, lending is another, reinvesting into other projects is another. And so that's what you're going to see. You're going to see all the all the existing use like financial infrastructure get rebuilt over here in crypto land and then some new shit that didn't exist in the real world that you can do in crypto land will get will get built. So I think, you know, for that reason, I think that if it works in the UK and 20 million people do it, then I think there's a good shot that it, this is going to exist in, crypt, in the crypto world. It's just so hard for me to understand. Would you um, do it? Like, let's say you have like, you have Ethereum or whatever, you have, you have Bitcoin. Would you put it in a, in a savings account here and like potentially win the lottery? Play one of these no loss lotteries? Yeah, 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 yes. And it's but, just a set it and forget it thing. You don't have to like actively do anything once you decide that once. Yes, I would do that. And like to all the stuff that like I would call silly, I would also do that stuff as well. Like when I buy an NFT that costs a grand, yeah, but not more than a grand. Like right. I would like to me, it's like 
spending a grand on that is just is the same fun as going to play blackjack for a grand like right. i can totally have a thousand dollars worth of fun over five hours right uh but yes i would use this okay i one other idea i want to throw through at you did you see this thing that was posted on wait but why the blog wait but why called uh where he's talked about his wife's startup no okay you should check this out so the guy who tim urban who writes wait but why posted this blog post and he says introducing the land beef and he goes that's his wife yes have you seen that uh i was looking at it after you put it on this doc it looks awesome so you should go to his blog post i want you to go there for two reasons one is i think the idea is kind of interesting we could talk about that but the second is the way he tells the story and lays out the, the case for this product uh, for this startup is so good. It's better than 99% of startup pitches you and I hear um, because this guy's like a master storyteller. And if you want to like think about how I should explain my startup or explain like, pitch my business, go read this blog post. All right. I shout out everyone who subscribes to the podcast and sends me proof. Uh, and if you send me proof, uh, you can send it to MFN at the hustle.co. So that's like my first million MFM at hustle.co send me proof so ready let's get to some shout outs and by the way everyone makes fun of me because i don't know how to pronounce or i can't pronounce stuff that well but i promise you i'm trying really hard so apologies also i'm like reading people's twitter handles and some of you guys have really silly handles so and i don't think many people could pronounce it so give a shout out to oh my god just this first one was challenging job habraken um give a shout out to johnny jzv uh cunning underscore Druger, uh Claude Loudier, Hardly Box, Dave Falsky, Jack Washburn, Lunatech Fringe, Everest Brady, Thad Warren, D Munga, <laughs> uh Roy Britz, Jordan Vanderhoof. Oh, Jordan Vanderhoof. I know, I think I know that guy. Uh Preston Holland, John Haggerty, Tex. Eight down, David Piazza, Wade for Wireless, and the Podcast Titian. We'll do a couple more. General Com, uh, Kyle Nydrick, Loft Marcus, Adil Mitha. And I think that's all. Oh my gosh. Am, am I just, am I the worst? These are really hard to pronounce. Am I right? All right. Someone asked me to give a shout out to Genuine. Uh, Genuinely interested podcast. That's what it's called. Genuinely interested podcast. So shout out to them. Shout out to us. <laughs> this guy's awesome. Everest Brady has a power washing business called Everest Power Washing. Dude, if he's in Austin, I'm going to use him because uh, I need that actually now. Um, One Rail app uh, is a startup that we are changing log logistics and supply chain and democratizing an Amazon style logistics and delivery experience to retailers and distributors. Uh, shout out to my YouTube channel called One Man Startup. That actually sounds pretty good. Check out One Man Startup. Um, shout out to Contemporary Idiot. It's a Substack called Contemporary Idiot. That's a pretty good name. And then shout out to Broccoli. I think they say um, they're big fans of Broccoli, and they wanted me to shout out Broccoli. All right. If you want to give a, if you want me to give you a shout out, can you please subscribe to the podcast? So go to uh, Spotify or iTunes, whatever you use. Click that blue button that says follow, or that purple button on iTunes that says subscribe. Click that, take a screenshot and email it to me, mfm at thehustle.co. Send me that, please, and I will give you a shout out. Talk soon. Uh -huh. yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like my days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like. Oh, yeah.